You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag today, guys. Use the promo code UGA, and they will hook you up with up to $200 in cash added directly to your account when you make your next deposit. So jump on that deal today. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host, Tyler, and this episode, guys, is going to be a little bit different than our usual weekly game recap episodes are. As all of you that listen every week know, this is the time each week that Curtis always joins me to recap our latest game, and he will be on today's episode, I hope, I think, at some point, but the Thanksgiving holidays have kind of interrupted our normal recording schedule. Uh, just give you a little um, background information here, a little inside baseball. Curtis recently took a new job in a different state. So he was in town back in Georgia most of this week visiting family for the holidays. He went to the game on Saturday, but he had to drive back home today on Sunday, which he is still currently doing as I speak. And I waited, guys. I tried. I tried to wait as long as I could to record this episode to give him a chance to be on here, but I have some family stuff of my own that I have to tend to in about an hour or so. So if we're going to get this episode out to you guys, which I desperately want to do, I hate to leave you guys hanging. That's not something that we're ever interested in doing. So if we're going to get this episode done and out to you, I have to start recording right now. But as soon as Curtis gets home, he's going to call in and we will get him on here. Hopefully that's soon. He just texted me. He said he's about half an hour-ish out, so hopefully at some point, maybe halfway through the episode, we'll get him on here. That's the plan. Uh, But as for the content of today's episode, we are going to recap the Tech game. I'll give you guys some thoughts on that game. I think there are some things coming out of this week's game against Tech that are worth talking about, but I also know that you don't want me to spend the entire episode on just that game. And honestly, I don't really want to do that either. Uh, We've got more important business to take care of here over the next month plus as we enter the postseason. So I'm going to give you a quick recap of the tech game. I'm going to do that. We're not going to completely ignore it. We'll talk about some of the things that we need to talk about. But after that, we're going to move on and we're going to go ahead and start talking about what is in front of us the rest of the way as we enter the postseason starting this week 
in the SEC Championship game against the LSU Tigers. But let's go ahead and dive into this thing. So, great, we beat Tech. Awesome. Tech sucks. I hate Tech. Anytime we beat Tech, it makes my heart feel nice and warm and fuzzy. So, yeah, 37-14, nice win. And that 37-14 win over Tech yesterday does make it 18 of the last 21 in the series for the good guys. We have outscored Tech 134-21 to over the last three games. Uh, we put the finishing touches on back-to-back undefeated regular seasons, which has never happened in the history of the Georgia football program, the long-storied history of our Georgia football program. So there's a lot to be happy about, guys. There's a lot to celebrate, a lot to appreciate. But I think it's also fair to say that if we're talking about this one isolated game here against Tech, that we did get off to an extremely lackluster start, at least by our standards. I mean, Tech, guys, Tech, Tech, of all teams, that horrific Tech offense became the first team in 15 games dating back to last season to score a touchdown on their opening possession against us. And we didn't finally take the lead in this game against Tech, yes, Tech, until the 7.59 mark in the second quarter. And you guys saw it. We only led 10-7 and a half against a team that was vastly inferior to our team and that we should have been up three to four touchdowns on if we played our A game, which we clearly did not do. So how do you explain that slow start? I think that's where we, we want to start today's episode. How does that happen? Why do we only lead Tech 10-7 at halftime, a, t- a Tech team that we have far more talent than that we shouldn't even be remotely playing around with? And I do want to start by giving Tech some credit. I hate doing that because I hate Georgia Tech. But I think Tech had a good plan on their first drive. They were trying to get the ball out of Zach Gibson's hands pretty quickly. They were trying to get the ball into space. They have some good receivers. I told you guys that in the preview episode. You know, it's it's a shame for for Tech receivers, Nate McCollum especially, but Malachi Carter as well. They have some guys that if you have a halfway decent quarterback could have put up thousand yard seasons. They easily could have, but they just didn't have that kind of quarterback play. But those are talented receivers. And so they want to get the ball to those guys in space as against, especially Nate McCollum. He had a really big first drive for them and they won this game. I, I would give Brent key credit. I mean, I don't think he's going to end up getting the, the, the long-term job. He's just the interim guy. I think it's probably going to be Willie Fritz is what I'm hearing right now. We'll see how that plays out. But Brent Key is a guy that comes from the Saban tree. He coached for Kirby at Alabama. He knows the Saban formula. He knows how, how to build a program. He knows how to run a program in a way that Jeff Collins clearly never did. And he had more substance to him, where Collins was just a bunch of flash, right? He had no substance behind him. Key's offensive line coach. He had that substance, and he got these guys playing well. And I told you last week in the preview episode that Tech is not good. You saw that Tech's not good. But they're also not as bad as the average Georgia fan thought they were coming to this week. Because I don't think the average Georgia fan watched Georgia Tech play at all this year. I don't blame you. Why would you? I mean, I, I'm the one who who puts myself through those things. I'm the masochist that puts himself through those things. But uh, I don't think your average Georgia fan knew really much about Tech other than that like Jeff Collins got fired and Tech wasn't good. But you know they've been playing well over the past four to five weeks. They've beaten three bowl teams in the past month and a half. So this is not a a downright terrible team. They're a bad team, just not as bad as they had been in the past couple of seasons. 
that shouldn't have mattered. We still should have killed them. We still should have blown them out in the first half. Like, that's not acceptable. That can't happen. That's not good enough. We did not play to our standard clearly. We all saw that. But, I mean, Texas, they got some decent players. And uh, they have some good... They have, I actually have respect for the coaches they still have on staff. And they did a good job, you know, coming out with a plan, scripting that first drive or two. And they executed it well. And we also helped them out. Like, we, we did not execute well defensively, especially in that first drive. I mean, a guy that... I have been very impressed by all year, and we've been very complimentary of on this show. He's gotten multiple game balls for us this season. Javon Bullard, I think, had his worst game of the season. And it really was just the first drive. That first drive for him was so bad that it kind of made it the worst game, his worst game of the season. And I know you all saw him give up the slot fade. And that's not even what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, you'd like him to make that play. But when you play a lot of tight press man coverage on the outside in the slot there, especially against a good receiver like Nate McCollum, that's going to happen sometimes. Like you're going to give up some plays. That's kind of the hazard of playing man coverage like that. Like you're going to challenge them, you're going to press them, and you're going to win a lot of those battles and you're going to make it hard on them. But they're also going to beat you from time to time, especially if you have a, a talented wide out like Nate McCollum. And that happened there. Like guy, he was in position. He did, he did a solid job on that play. It just happens. And it was a great throw by Zach Gibson, who hasn't been good all year, but he was like inexplicably like on target over and over again in the first half in this game. But what there's two plays on that first drive that just he's got to be better than you know Javon Bullard that, there was two screen plays right so they got two play I think it was two screen plays in a row that led to a first down kept that drive alive that allowed that the uh, slot fade to even be a play that happened that set up a first and goal for them and on both those plays it was Javon Bullard who played the who played the screen wrong so he did a good job attacking the block I loved Bullard's tenacity I love his physical his physicality on the outside I love his aggressiveness taking on blockers does, does a great job of that he did a great job attacking the blocker take on the block on both those screen plays but where he went wrong is he allowed the receiver the blocker to turn him to the inside and he gave the receiver the the boundary he gave him the outside there and he was able to skate through and pick up some some yards and get a first down and that cannot happen. What you've got to do there as as the star defender is you have got to take on that block and turn the play inside because that is where all of your help is coming from. That's where Pop Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden and Robert Beal and Jalen Carter, all those guys that are chasing the play, they're pursuing the play, they're all coming from the inside. That's your help. That's where it's coming from. So you want to turn that play to the inside. And he did not do that. He allowed himself to be turned inside and he gave them the outside there. And that's when they picked up those first downs. So it might seem like minor stuff, sure. But hey, let's not forget, it wasn't him on, uh, it was Laster earlier in the year. But remember that play against Kent State, they had that long little screen pass for a touchdown? Same exact thing happened there. You can't let that happen. And if you play better teams, which, oh yeah, we're about to as we enter the postseason, those things can lose you football games. Tech's not good enough to do it for four quarters and beat us, but LSU is. Ohio State potentially is. TCU potentially is. Michigan potentially is. Whoever it is that we play, they are good enough if we don't play fundamental football the way that we do almost down by down because we are so fundamentally sound defensively. We're so smart. We do such a good job, but we just didn't execute there, and those are just a couple of examples right there in that first drive. So a combination of a good plan by Tech. They were fired up. They were motivated. They wanted to win this game. They wanted bowl eligibility. They had nothing to lose here. All those things mattered in, in the on that first drive in the first half, but we also did execute defensively on that first drive in particular, and then offensively, I mean, 
the first half was just, I don't want to say it was a train wreck of execution, but it was not good enough. It was not up to our standard, which again, that's how we measure things. I mean, that first drive, here's a couple examples at the top of my head. The first drive, what Stetson, you have a, you know, a third medium, uh, Kiaris runs the slant. He's open. He's got to step on the defender. It's an easy first down. It's a pitch and catch type first down that Stetson has made routinely all year long. He misses him. He throws about two yards behind him, and that's not good enough. I know it's just one throw, but like, Again, against Tech, it's fine. You come back next drive, you you go out there, you put the, you start moving the football, you score touchdowns, and you you run away because Tech can't hang with you for four quarters. They just they just can't. They don't have that kind of talent. They don't have that kind of depth. Well, LSU again does. You know, whoever we play in the playoffs potentially, they have those kind of players, and you've got to hit those plays. Like those are gimme plays. You have to hit those. So you know that's the first drive. You got to punt right, and then you have you get in the red zone. The second drive, you got a false start by Darnell Washington in the red zone, pushes it back to second goal from the twelve, and that's not conducive to us having a lot of success scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And then you go, you get back there again, and now this wasn't so much execution on our part, but. You had the phantom offensive pass interference on Lad McConkey. I mean, guys, the officiating. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this because that's what losers do. But it's it's hard to not remark on it. I mean, we still won the game, and I don't want to like exaggerate and use hyperbole here and say it was the worst officiating game I've ever seen in my life because it wasn't. Like in the moment, sitting there in the stands, I felt like that because I was frustrated. And there were some horrible calls. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's been worse officiate games that I've seen, but it was still very bad. And uh, I don't know what the most egregiously bad call was. I think there's three that come to mind. I think you can say the the phantom offensive pass interference on Lad, where I mean, if anything, it was defensive holding on that play. If, if anything, like Lad did not even run into Bowers' defender. Like they, they, they call offensive pass interference like it was a pick play. He did not touch Brock's defender. His defender was the one grabbing on Lad. So it should have been holding first and goal for Georgia, but no, wasn't that. And Brock, you know, Brock usually makes those contested catches. Didn't make that one. I'd, I'd like to see him make that play as that's more execution. I know it's a really tough play, but that's kind of the play that Brock, it's a really tough play that Brock over the past year and a half has made look kind of routine. You just didn't make that play there, which is fine. It happens. So that was, I thought, an egregiously bad call. And then the, the face mask call on Brock when it was, what was it, fourth and one, fourth and short, and we run the the, the speed sweep to him. He gets the first down, right? And does he grab the defender's face mask? The answer is yes. He definitely grabbed and kind of twisted his face mask. That happened. I'm not sitting here saying that did not happen. It clearly did. We all saw that uh, when I went back and watched the replay. Clearly didn't show the replay in the stands. Watch it on, on the, the TV copy and you see it. But here's my problem with that. Guys, I watch a ton of football. You know this, right? Like I watch a lot of football. I love college football. I watch a lot of it. I'm still watching games from last week already. Um, but um, I see that every... Oh, okay. Let's pull back on this. I don't want to exaggerate too much. I don't want to say I see it every single game, but I see it most games where there's an example of a running back, a receiver, a quarterback, a ball carrier of some sort who stiffs arms a defender and puts his hand, grabs the face mask. And as an old defensive guy, an old defensive coach myself, I always get frustrated. That. I'm like, why, why do we not call this face mask? But they never, ever do. Technically by the rule of law, I think it, like the letter of the law, it's like, it is a penalty. They just never, never call it. So that's my issue is number one, you call that that penalty in that moment a critical down and distance and take away that first down when and on a penalty, on a play that's never called that is that kind of play is never ever 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 called and then number 2 if you want to call it fine okay but clearly you're looking at the play right referee mr referee you're looking at the play cuz you see the face mask you call it how can you look at that and see that and not also see the obvious horse collar tackle 
And at the very least, call offsetting penalties, replay the down, give us another shot instead of pushing us back 15 yards. That's egregious. And then if you go down to the red zone, so it's the, it's the uh, possession where, I think, was this the second quarter? I want Or the second half, early second half, I want to say? Yeah, it was early second half, where finally the, the, play, the drive ends up with Brock on fourth and one catching the ball, like a shoestring catch, like off the top of the grass, right? Great catch by Brock Bowers. Fantastic catch by him. But I am convinced that Stetson scored twice on both those those plays where he pulled the ball prior to that, on second and third down. I am convinced that Stetson scored on both of those. And they reviewed one of them and some way, somehow decided, no, I didn't get in, which I just, it's inexplicable. It's truly inexplicable. So pick your poison. Any of those, I think, deserve merit as the most egregious call like they were all bad so I don't want to, again don't want to spend too much time officiating but it was just, I just have to say it because I know I was tweeting about it because I was very frustrated in the moment because officials guys I know it's a hard job I know I know it's a really really hard job but at some point do we not hold these people accountable there is no accountability I'm sure they get you know they, they get they get graded right but what what do the grades matter if they get to trot back out there every single week nothing happens and i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this and i'm sure i won't be the last person to say it but there is no other profession i know this is not like their full-time job but there's no other job where you can be that consistently bad at your job and still have a job day after day week after week month after month year after year and I know I put that out there on social media. I got a lot of people coming back saying like, well, weathermen. Okay, well, here's the thing about weathermen. I, I've, I kind of agree with that to a degree, but here's the thing with, with a meteorologist, right? So a meteorologist, yes, their forecast, their predictions are wrong often, but that's the thing, guys. There's this like understanding that what a meteorologist tells you is a forecast. It is a prediction. They're saying, we think this is going to happen based off of the available information the science the data that we have and that's what it is guys it is is science like there's at least a science behind meteorology sometimes that science changes right because of variables with the weather so it's not like i guess it looks like on the surface hey they were wrong but they were right when they told you what they told you but things change with the weather right that's just kind of how those things work it's i don't think it's exactly an apples to apples comparison A, a lot and not every official but too many officials are just straight up bad at what they do and there's no recourse. There's no accountability and that drives me insane. But all right, let me get off my officiating soapbox and get back to uh, breaking down this game. So execution, I think, is the is the real culprit here. I don't think we executed offensively in the first half the way that we need to to our standard, which again, is how we measure things. Defensively, I thought we played well. I mean, the, the first drive was not acceptable. I mean, 11 play drive, 75 yards, four minutes off the clock, touchdown drive for Tech. I mean, again, first time we give a, a first drive touchdown in 15 games in Georgia Tech. Like this terrible Georgia, Georgia Tech offense was the team that did that. It's kind of unbelievable, but it happened. And after that, you know, there were a couple plays here and there. Uh, now, I will say that I think it was the second drive. So I think we, we punt, right? They got the ball back. And then they had. I don't know if it would end up being a touchdown, but they had an, another really well-designed play where they kind of faked the toss, the toss sweep. Our linebackers reacted to that, and they ran the tight end up the seam, and he hit the tight end. Like Gibson put the ball on the money. If it wasn't going to be a touchdown, it's a huge game. It's going to set up probably at least a field goal there, and before you know it, we could have been down two scores right there. So even though they didn't put up another score in the first half, there were still some moments where we didn't execute defensively the way that we need to against better teams. But all in all, 
after that first drive defensively, we kind of pick things back up. But I, I think you, you can look at execution. That's a big part of it. Now, the question that I got from a couple people on social media was like, did you feel like the team was like emotionally ready to play this game? Like they that the intensity wasn't there. And I think there's something to that. I mean, you have to understand, guys, it's really difficult to get to that level of emotional fire week after week, especially when you're playing a team like Georgia Tech. And I know you're, you're going to sit here and say, what's well, a rival, Tyler? It's clean old-fashioned. Hey, how can these guys not be up for it? Well, okay, I get that to some degree. Now, first off, not every player on our team is from Georgia. Like Darnell Washington is from Las Vegas. Like he knows that Georgia Tech is a, is a rival of Georgia. He didn't grow up knowing anything about clean old-fashioned hate. So it's not the same for a lot of those guys as it is for you and me. Like I don't care if, if Georgia Tech's 0-11. I'm, I would be motivated, and we were number one in the country undefeated. I would still be motivated to play Georgia Tech and to kill them because I have a very healthy hate of Georgia Tech, hatred of Georgia Tech that I have developed throughout the course of my 37 years on this earth. So I think that's one element of it. And the other element is, again, like, guys, we are on the tail end of a regular season where we just went undefeated for the second consecutive year. And I mentioned after the Kentucky game, that was our toughest four-game stretch of the season, right? And I told you guys in the preseason that was going to be the case. So you got Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State on the road, Kentucky on the road. And then you wrap it up with Tech, and you don't really— and I honestly never really mentioned Tech in that conversation because it's it's Tech, right? Tech sucks. But they're sitting there after this tough run where we've already clinched a spot in the SEC Championship game. We're number one in the country, and Tech's sitting there, and like they're five and six. They fired their coach. Like, who cares? It's at home. You know, it's Thanksgiving weekend. You also like get off your routine. And I, I'm not trying to make excuses for our players. And Kirby mentioned this after the game, but it's very, very true, guys. Coaches are creatures of habit, and they love routine. And when you get off that routine and things change in the week leading up to a game, it. it kind of leads potentially to maybe a little bit less focus going into a game. I mean, it's just kind of natural for anything. I know that's true for Tech, too. It's not just us. But you look at the fact, okay, we've already locked up the SEC. We're number one in the country. We'll get the playoffs in sight. Knock on wood. You know, we'll see what happens there. Just got to win. Just got to win. Just got to win. Just beat LSU. We'll get there later. But, you know, it's easy for us to look at Tech and say, huh, you know, it's Tech. Like, where where does that internal motivation come from? Especially those guys that are not from Georgia. And you're, you're kind of exhausted. You're tired. You're worn out in the season here. You just want to get through the regular season. You don't really see Tech as a threat. You just want to get to the postseason where things really start to, to kick up again, right? That's what you're looking at. And it's kind of like, oh, it's just a game we kind of have to get through. And Tech didn't view it that way, right? Tech, like, this is their Super Bowl. Like, they're going for bowl eligibility. They want to knock off their their rival, who happens to be the defending national champion and is still number one in the country. Like, the motivation edge is clearly on Tech's side there. Now, it still shouldn't matter. And ultimately, it didn't matter because we ended up running away with this game. We went on a 37-0 run. But I do think if you're looking at for reasons why the first half was sloppy and maybe not to our standard, I think execution is a big part of it, as I mentioned first. But I think you know, the lack of intensity in this game was also part of it. I think if you going back and rewatching it, I mean, what in the stands there, you know, it's a different feel, right? Than when you're watching the, the TV copy. So when I came back home and this morning watched the the replay of it, the TV copy, you can you kind of get the feel that our defense wasn't you know fired up, right? You didn't see the the emotional outburst, you didn't see the intensity that you usually see from our defensive players. So I think there's something to it, but I, I'm not going to read too much into it. I'm not going to be too concerned about that because, again, as I mentioned, the circumstance of the situation just kind of lend itself, and we did what we had to do. We got out of here. We won the football game. 
and the second half was a very different story. We we were up 10-3 or 10-7 at halftime while we outscored them 27 to nothing before that like garbage time touchdown, which, God, that pisses me off. I know it shouldn't, 37-14, it's still, you know, uh, a three-touchdown victory, but there's just something different. Like We were driving to at least kick a, kick a field goal, right, before the, the fumble by Carson Beck. So there's just something like 40-7, to 44-7 potentially. It just looks so much better. It sounds so much better than 37-14. It just, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I know. We end up winning the game. Who cares? But things like that just kind of annoy me. But the second half, you, know, you clearly could see at halftime, we kind of got refocused, readjusted there, and like, okay, let's go out, let's take this a little bit more seriously, let's go out, let's execute at a higher level. And that's exactly what we did. We executed at a very high level. Uh, the one thing that really stood out to me in the second half was the way that we controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, but especially our offensive line. And our offensive line was good in the first half, too. Like They really weren't really stopping us running the football. But our offensive line just dominated the tech front seven in the second half. And guys, they have, and I told you guys in the preview episode, they have two guys at inside linebacker that I th- I think have NFL futures. I don't know where they're going to get drafted, but I think they're going to at least get a shot to make NFL teams. And they're not great up front, but those linebackers are good. I mean, they were, you know, I think two and three in the country in tackles coming into the seat, uh, coming into this game. So those guys can play, very good players, and we just dominated them up front. I mean, I, Kendall Milton, I want to give him some props. He is looking better and better. He's still not getting a ton of touches. But when he gets out in the open, he's just looking like he's moving better than I think I've seen him move since like his freshman year, to be honest with you. So I'm really encouraged by that because we're going to need all hands on deck as we end the postseason, and he's certainly a part of that. Um, but that touchdown run he had late in the game, I mean, guys, you or I could have like somersaulted like we could have like log rolled through that through that hole and still probably score a touchdown they, they might have caught me because I don't got Kendall speed but we could have gotten through that hole right I mean he went through there untouched our offensive line was just flat out dominant in the second half and I think that was a big part of our success in pulling away from tech in the second half of yesterday's game all right the last thing I want to I want to talk about before we move on here about this tech game Curse and I, we spent a lot of time last week, guys, discussing the red zone issues against Kentucky. You know, this week, it, it was better, right? It wasn't perfect, but it was better. We went three for five scoring touchdowns in the red zone, which is a 60% touchdown rate, which is good. Not We want 100%, right? But 60% is good, and it's better than last week's one for four effort, 25% against Kentucky. So when you're looking at this, I was I was watching this very closely this week, guys, because I want to see, okay, what are we going to do differently in the red zone? Because what we did last week with those jumbo packages, that ain't it. We, we have to like try different things. And I told you guys a couple things that I would advocate. And sure enough, the coaches didn't listen to me, but they're also you know going back into the lab and saying, okay, what can we do differently? And they saw some things that I also saw. So what one of the adjustments that I saw in this game was that we were not using like exclusive jumbo package inside the red zone and like inside the, the five inside the three yard line we were doing one of the things that I was advocating is spreading the defense out in those situations look I know that when you get inside the red zone the problem the reason why it's so difficult to score inside the red zone is the field is condensed there's not as much space to operate with right so there's not really as much space to, to stretch a team vertically but you can still stretch a team horizontally right the, you can use the space the width of the field right And I've always just kind of felt that it's counterintuitive to just automatically do what everyone's always done since the dawning of of the sport of football and go to the jumbo package and get everybody in tight and just try to plow ahead for that one yard. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, as I said last week, is what you're doing is you are getting more bodies where the ball is going to be run. And so you have more people that have to do their job correctly 
for that play to work, which reduces the likelihood of the success of that play. And it also means you're going to have more free runners right there where the ball is going to be run, guys, that you don't account for with your blocking scheme. It just doesn't make sense to me. What makes more sense to me is just use your normal offense. Use the same formations that you use. Like if it's first and three from the three-yard line, first and go from the three, why aren't you using the same formation that you used on first and 10 from the 47-yard line that got you to that point? No, there's not as much space down in the red zone, but there is some space to be used. So let's actually make use of the space that is there. Spread the defense out a little bit. Get some of those bodies out out of the box. Give yourself more options. You can have the quarterback run the ball. You can have the the running back run the ball. You can throw to the tight end. You can throw to the receiver. All sorts. There's more options. So to me, that is just how I've always thought that should be approached. Unless you have a big enough quarterback that can successfully run quarterback sneaks, which right now we don't really have. That guy loves stats, and that's just not really what he's built to do. So I was very excited to see us do more of that. And I, now I know that you know we had to go to fourth down to score on the pass to Brock Bowers, which we actually had to go to our jumbo package on that play. It was that the one of those drives in the third quarter? But I'm convinced Stetson scored, as I said earlier, on both of those plays where he pulled the ball. It was also nice to see us actually use Stetson's legs and design running plays, which is something that I felt like I knew that we could do. We've done in the past. I, I mentioned last week, I thought maybe it's something that we were holding for different, like for for bigger games down the stretch. And I, I, I felt like that had to be the case because why would we not be using it right now? And sure enough, we used his legs a little bit more. Again, he didn't get in, but I thought he was in. I also thought that we got a little bit more creative inside the red zone, which was something that I would like to, that I was hoping that we would see moving forward. You know, for instance, I know it didn't work again, it didn't work, but at least we're trying to do things a little bit differently. It, was it the, the first red zone possession? Yeah, I think it was the first red zone possession where we uh, tossed the ball to Dajan into the boundary, but I forget who it was, Brock, was it Ladd? One of those two guys, I believe, was running like arc mo- orbit motion behind the, uh, the quarterback, behind Stetson, and we kind of like faked like we were tossing to them going in the other direction to the field but we actually tossed it to to Dajan going into the boundary the play did not work but we were trying to do some things differently than just lining it up in the jumbo package and just trying to ram it down the uh the opponent's throw in for a touchdown which you can you like ideally would it be great if we could do that sure it'd be great but when teams know where the ball is going to be run and they have free runners, it makes it really hard to do that with any sort of consistency. So I think we're, we're trending in the right direction. Look, guys, we've been really good at scoring touchdowns in the red zone pretty much all year outside of two games, Kentucky and Missouri. And those are the two games that were by far our closest games in the SEC. And for both in both those games, the reason why those games were so close is because we could not score touchdowns in the red zone. So I was glad to see us improve. Again, not perfect, not where we want to be. We want to be 100%. I know that's probably unrealistic, but that's the goal, right? But at least we seem to be kind of trending back in the right direction after that uh, pretty poor effort in the red zone in Lexington last weekend. And Curtis just texted me, guys. So we're going to get him on here in just a minute. So while he's getting his mic and everything set up real quick, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Let me remind you guys about our friends at my bookie you know my bookie has been supporting this podcast all season long we are very grateful for their support so it would be awesome if you guys if you're so interested and so inclined into partaking a little bit of sports betting it would be great if you guys could support the people that support us and my bookie has been awesome to us and guys my bookie is the best sports book out there. there's a reason that we partner with my bookie i've been using my bookie for years now i've tried different sports books out there in the past but once i tried my bookie, I settled on my bookie really quickly because there was no other sports that I'd ever come across that could really 
remotely compare to what MyBookie has to offer you with all the lines that they have. They have the best lines out there, the most accurate lines out there. They have a ton of betting options. You can, of course, do any kind of parlays. You can customize your parlays. They have a lot of prop bets out there. Any sport you want to bet on, MyBookie has you covered. Obviously, we are a college football heavy podcast, but I mean, any sport you guys want to bet on, my bookie has you covered. College basketball season has just kicked up, and I'm loving that. I mean, I love college football, but I also love college basketball. That's a close, not a close second, but it's definitely my second favorite sport. So you can bet on that here in the coming months. NFL still going strong. World Cup, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. Not my cup of tea, but I know other people like that. So whatever you guys are into, my bookie has it. And right now, they are offering you guys an awesome promotion. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a new account if you have not already done so. Make that first deposit. And whatever deposit you make, they're going to give you up to $200 in cash. You're going match, to match that up to $200 in cash that will be added directly to your account. And then once you, all you have to do to get access to that is to be able to withdraw it is just bet that money that you deposit. So if you deposit 50 bucks, once you bet 50 bucks on whatever game or whatever, however many games you want to wager it on. Once you do that, that money can be withdrawn from your account and go directly into your wallet and do whatever it is that you want to do with it. So can't beat that, guys. All you got to do is go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and begin betting anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we are back at it. And joining me now for the remainder of the episode, thank you for your patience, guys. We appreciate it. But joining me now is my co-host, Curtis, who just got back home from a nice long Sunday drive. But that was a lot of fun. But all right, Curtis, uh, enough about tech. You, you missed that part, man. Don't worry about it. I covered tech. They don't deserve any more of our time. They don't. They're tech. They suck. They're in the rear view. And so is the entire regular season. So, Curtis, a lot is often made about a team peaking at the right time. And so now that you're here with me, I'm curious where you think this team is right now coming off these last two games, one of which was the worst offensive performance of the season, at least statistically speaking, against Kentucky. And then another one yesterday against Georgia Tech, where it wasn't a bad offensive performance, but it was kind of just, eh? So on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you think this team is playing entering the postseason? Because stuff's about to get 
real, real quick here, man. You know, I'm going to go with a six or seven. And the reason I go more towards that way is that I think that people have to take in mind that we just went through the toughest stretch of our season, Um, a grueling five games in a row that people need to take into account. And I think that's one of the biggest things is I think that just getting through all of that undefeated is a feat in its own right. Um, that hasn't been talked about or appreciated as much as maybe it should have been um, because that was a very tough stretch. Um, you know, we play Florida, come home the next week, a very emotional, high-intensity game against Tennessee, and then on the road for two straight games. And then you have to come in against Tech, who, we, as you had talked about, you know, was lesser. We should have beat them and all these things. But the fact was it was hard to get up, and it was, it was just – it was a grueling stretch. No, it absolutely was, man. And I, I know when you look at – the final scores these last two games, okay, 16 and six against Kentucky. You know, man, Kentucky's not a good football team. Like, we only beat them by 10 points. You look at Tech, and it's like, okay, yeah, 37 14. Yeah, but we also beat them, what, 45 nothing and 52 7, you know, the last two times we played them. So, like, what's going on here? Like, we're not playing to our capabilities. And I think that's, there's probably something to that. I don't think we've played to our standard the last two weeks against Kentucky. I thought we played really well defensively. I thought we played really well between the 20s offensively. We mentioned the red zone. Those those are issues that made the game look a lot closer than it really was. I'll take you back to last week. That game should have been 30 to nothing. If we score in the red zone, if we score from the one-yard line, it's going to be probably – and if we hit Darnell, who's wide open for what I think was going to be an easy touchdown, it's 30 to nothing in that game, Curtis, after the first play of of the fourth quarter. But it didn't look that way, right? So I I don't think we're that far off. I I mean, I told you guys last week, I don't – feel like we were ever I never felt like we were in danger of losing that game against Kentucky I know it got a little closer than we wanted to at the end but I never I was sitting there in that in the stands and that win and that cold and I was like I was never worried I was like I was frustrated because we weren't playing like we need to be playing but I never felt like we were going to lose that game it's tech same thing I was frustrated in the first half because we should murder tech and we ultimately ended up doing that and it was frustrating to be up 10 7 and a half against an, such an inferior opponent but I, again, never felt like we were in danger. I just felt like we weren't playing to our capabilities. But I think if you go, if you really dig in, though, Curtis, look at the numbers, like we've dominated each of these last two games. Like anyone who's really, really worried, because I know some people are. I heard from quite a few people on social media after the game yesterday, you know, talking about the last two games, like, man, like if we play like this, we're going to get killed against LSU, and then LSU goes and <laughs> loses to AM or whatever. But, I mean, there's some people who are frustrated and also concerned about where this team is. And I get it. I do. I, I understand where you're coming from. But let's also get this. I mean, we gave up defensively an average of 275 yards and 6.5 points per game over the last two games. I, and I'm, I'm talking about the starters. Okay, I know Tech scored that garbage time touchdown against our backups. That, to me, does not count. All right, whatever. I'm talking about the starting defense who's actually going to be out there playing against LSU. And if we get to the playoffs, playing against whoever we play in the playoffs. You have an average of 275 yards and 6.5 points per game over the last two. Heck, if you go back and let's throw in Mississippi State, who's a pretty good offense. We've been up in the last three games, an average of 286 yards and 8.6 points per game over those last three. So defensively, Curtis, like we're playing as well as, I mean, honestly, statistically, as well as we have all year long. And offensively, I don't think you can undersell this. Kentucky and Georgia Tech, the last two games, played us very differently than any team has really played us in the last five years. Kentucky came out last week and they played a two high shell all game long. That never, ever happens. Teams always roll safeties in the box. They try to take away our run game and force us to beat them with the pass. Kentucky did not do that. And what that did 
is it limited? They were trying to limit the kill shot passing plays. Mark Stoops is a smart coach, guys. He understands what we do. He knows we want to run the football, but what we really, really want to do is when we run the football, we want to then, Todd Munkin wants to hit explosive plays in the passing, which is what we did all year last year, guys. That's why Stets was one of the, the top quarterbacks in the country in terms of yards per attempt, and we were the most explosive offenses in the country because teams would roll safeties in the box to, to try to take away our run game, and we would just gash them in the passing game when they try to go man coverage one-on-one, and we would just explosive play after explosive play. We haven't been as explosive the back half, half of this season, but we're so explosive enough in the passing game when they when they defend us that way. So Mark Stoops said, nah, man, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give you those kill shot passing plays. They're going to widen this margin. So they wanted to make us run it consistently. What's that do? It shortens the game and it keeps the game closer for longer and gave them a chance at the end of the game to kind of be in it, which is that's all they could ask for. And that's what they got. Ultimately, we just had better players. And so Tech saw that and said, huh, you know what? That's a pretty freaking good idea. Let's do that. And so that's the same exact approach they took in this game. Why were we able to run it for 250-plus yards these last two weeks? And, and, I mean, really almost run it at will against these two teams. And Kentucky's a good defense. That's a pretty good rush defense. We were able to do that because we were able to just dominate the even numbers in the box. Like They were just giving that to us. And what does a good offense coordinator do? You take what the defense is giving you. Now, that might keep the game closer because you're not hitting those explosive plays in the passing game. But you have, kind of have to play how the defense is – is is you have to do what they're you have to take advantage of what they're giving you right and I think if you really look at it we still dominated both these games I know the final score against Kentucky might not indicate that but if you actually watch the game we dominated that game just like we really dominated Tech especially in the second half but our opponents these last two weeks defensively just dictated that we play it a certain way I mean Kurt we still only punted it one time against Tech and only two times against Kentucky. So that's combined three punts in the last three games. That's still a dominant offensive performance. We're still moving the ball like we need to. It just might not seem that way when you don't beat a team 49-3 like we did against, you know, Oregon early in the year or what what was against South Carolina, 42-7 in that game or 48-7 in that game. So the margins aren't as wide because they played us a little bit differently. So I don't know, like, when a team plays this like that, I think you have to take what they give you. And I, I think that's something that Todd Munkin's done a really good job of and not trying to force feed things the last two weeks. But I mean, Kirk, can that kind of be viewed as a strength though? I mean, even though like the offensive numbers haven't been stellar the past two weeks. I mean, if you look at offensively, Kirk, 363 yards against Kentucky, 407 against Georgia Tech. I mean, compare that to, you know, Auburn 500, Vanderbilt 579, Florida 555, South Carolina 547, Oregon 571. Those are not the same kind of numbers, but when we had to play that a little bit differently, we're still able to kind of dominate those games. Can that in some way kind of be viewed as a strength? I think it is. I mean, just simply surviving these and finding ways to win when we're um, teams have all these different, you know, defenses to us, I think is a benefit in its own right. Yeah. Cause like you play different teams, right? You play teams, defenses who have different kinds of strengths. And I think it's, it is really really valuable if an an offense or team in general can win football games in different ways I think that can be viewed as a strength because what that tells me I'm gonna use a baseball analogy here we don't just have a fastball right like you can have that 103 mile hour fastball but that's all you got eventually teams can figure out how to take that away they can sit on it and they can just hammer that right well we have a great fastball like we know how we want to play teams but that's not all we have. Like, we've got a curveball. We've got a changeup that we can beat you with if you're sitting on that fastball. And I don't think every team can say that. I don't think every team in the country can do that. I think we have that ability. We've shown that. We've won games in different ways 
all season long, depending on how we've had to win those games. And different players have taken over, whether it's Kenny McIntosh, whether it's Brock Bowers, whether it's Lab McConkey, whether it's Stetson having a huge day. You know, we've, we've been able to win games different ways, depending on the opponent and how they've played us, how they've tried to defend us. And I honestly believe, and, and maybe you're sitting here and saying, hey, Tyler, here you are again, being a homer, looking at things through your red and black colored glasses. But I, I really believe that that is a strength. And that's how I choose to view it. Because again, not every team can do that. You know, every team has a way they want to play. And they have, they have a formula for victory for their team. But once that formula is taken away from you, most teams can't really beat you different ways. What makes a team special and makes you a championship contender is if you can beat teams different ways on any given Saturday, depending on how that game is playing out. I think that's what you've seen these past two weeks. Okay, guys, when we get back from this last break, we're going to take a quick look ahead to this week's matchup in the SEC Championship game against LSU. But first, before we get there, I do want to remind you guys about our other good friends at Alumni Hall. They've also been awesome supporting us for a couple of years now, and I hope a lot of you took advantage of the awesome Black Friday deals that they had this past weekend. But even if you missed out, guys, it's okay. Cyber Monday is here. They're going to have a ton of other great deals for you guys. So if you missed out on Black Friday, no worries. You still got time to pick up a bunch of Georgia gear for friends, family, loved ones, or just yourself. It's all good. Like, don't feel bad about treating yourself, guys. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it. So, whoever you're in the market for buying some Georgia stuff for, Alumni Hall has you covered. They are your go to place for any kind of Georgia gear. They have all the best brands, they have the best selection. And with their Hall Pass Rewards program, you're going to start earning credit towards future purchases as soon as you start buying things so guys it's a no-brainer for any georgia fan make sure to do all your shopping all your holiday shopping for all the georgia fans in your life at alumni hall because alumni hall is where the bulldogs shop you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But all right, Curtis, I do want to switch things up a little bit here, man. I know these Sunday night episodes are usually reserved for recapping our latest game, but like I said earlier, man, the regular season is behind us. We did what we had to do back-to-back undefeated seasons for the first time in program history. And that's great. That's an accomplishment in its own right. But again, that's a means to an end. We have bigger goals, bigger aspirations in sight. And it's go time, man, as the postseason is now upon us. We've got LSU up first in the SEC Championship game on Saturday. We're going to be diving head first into into this matchup the rest of the week. But I did want to give you a chance here while you're on here with me to share your thoughts on this game. So let me just start with this, Curse. How much of a threat is LSU? I know they just lost to AM, and that is a very, very, very bad look. But 
there's could possibly a little bit of a look ahead factor there. But how much of a threat is LSU to actually go in there and beat us in the SEC championship game? I mean, they are a threat. I mean, you look at some of these games they've won. Uh, you think back to Ole Miss and Alabama. Yes, they were at home and all these things. But the fact is they've showed that, you know, they're just an up-and-down team. You know, they can get up and play with the best of the rest or with the best of them, and then they can also play down to teams' levels. Um, so, you you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. But if they're playing, at the, you know, their best, then, yes, they can beat us. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels – he has made some mistakes, but at the same time, he's made some big things happen. He's someone that's a high-risk, high-reward type player that, you know, kind of can scare me. You're exactly right with the inconsistencies, man. So I've already started on the the preview episode last week. I already got a head start on this a little bit of time during Thanksgiving week. And, you know, one of the things I was, you know, I, I'm going to be talking about is exactly that, the inconsistencies of this LSU football team. You know, on one hand, you have the Tennessee game where they just get blitzed, like right out of the gate and just make mistake after mistake after mistake, and they get run out of their own building. And then you turn back around the next two weeks, and you go on the road, and you really just dominate Florida. You uh, come back home, and you dominate uh, an Ole Miss team. I think it was undefeated at that time. Then you beat Alabama at home. And then you turn around in Arkansas, and you get out of there like by the, by the skin of your teeth, man. You barely escape. You have 4.3 yards per play of, of offense, only 286 yards of total offense. And then you um, go to UAB the next week, a solid group of five team, uh, and you dominate that game easily. And then you come back in, in the regular season with a two-touchdown loss on the road at AM, which was the worst. I mean, had only one conference win. So, you know, by conference record was the worst team in the conference heading into that game. So that's who LSU is, man. They are up and down. It depends on what LSU team you get. But if you get the good LSU, if you get the team that, you know, put it on Ole Miss, the team that – went on the road and beat Florida the way they did and they beat Alabama. Yeah, that, they're a real threat. But, I mean, if you get the Arkansas Ole Miss, you get the Tennessee Ole Miss, you get the – or the I should say LSU. You get, if you get that LSU, the Florida State LSU from week one, then we win this game going away. So it's tough to, to know what LSU team's going to show up. But after that effort against a Curtis, do you think that's going to actually – give LSU a little bit more of a shot in the arm. I mean, obviously we're probably going to get their best shot because you would think, right, it's the SEC championship game. But do you think that gives them a little bit of extra added something heading into this game after you lose the way they did to that A&M team? Um, it may. I think either way they're going to have a lot to prove on this stage, um, but it may give them a more chip on their shoulder. Um, I definitely think you can say that it's a possibility. I mean, I don't. I mean, they're gonna look. They're gonna be motivated to win this game. I think when you lose a game like that, what does that do? I think it enhances the focus of the team during the week. You know, leading up to the game, because like when you, if you go in there, you beat A&M, like ho hum, okay, whatever. You know, you, you start feeling yourself a little bit. But when you lose a game like that, now the coaches have all these talking points, right? They can sit there in the film room and say, "Look, man, this is not good enough." You get their attention, so I, I think maybe it helps in that regard a little bit. Look, like I mean. They're going to be motivated to play in the SEC title game, play the number one team in the country no matter what. So I've always – I just assume, Kurt, at this point, that we're going to get everybody's best shot. It doesn't always turn out that way. I just kind of assume that's the way it's going to work out because I do think, as we've said, seemingly every week this season, like we're starting to get that Bama treatment. I think that's that's what you're seeing in teams. Just they're up to play us, and I don't think LSU is going to be any different whether they lost to A&M or not. But, Kurt, when you look at this LSU team and how they're built, what they like to do offensively, what they do defensively, what do you think are going to be the keys to winning – so to beating LSU and then obviously winning our first SEC title since 2017. Um, I think one of the biggest things is going to be stopping Jaden Daniels. Um, you got to keep him in the pocket. That is offensively what gets them going. You know, he can extend plays, uh, let receivers get open. 
um, or he can, you know, tuck it and run himself. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing is whoever the spy ends up being, you know, you and I talked about this, but the fact is they're going to have to do their job. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people realize this. I mean, I think people who watch LSU are like, yeah, you know, he's he's a good runner. He's a, he's a mobile quarterback. Guys, not only is he their leading rusher, it's not even close. He's their leading rusher by over 300 yards in the season. Like, that's how much he means to this team, to this offense. Like, it is the Jaden Daniels show. So you're exactly right, Curtis, in saying, like, containing Jaden Daniels, forcing him to beat us as a passer is certainly the key to this game. I think the bigger question becomes – how do you do that? You mentioned a spy, Kurt. I, who do you see in our team that kind of is the one that you would tab as like the guy to put on Jane Daniels to keep him in the pocket and to keep him from just gashing us as he has many times to various teams this year with his legs? Um, I think the only person right now, if you're looking at inside linebackers, has to be Smile, um, which hurts us because he's big in the pass defense. But I just don't believe Pop can do it. Um, Pop struggled with the guy at George Tech. How's he going to be able to? Um, do any better against Jane Daniels. Yeah, Pop's a fantastic player. You and I have talked about this all year. I, this is not a slight on Pop. I, I'm not trying to criticize the guy at all. I'm just trying to be objective and tell you like what his strengths and weaknesses are. Pop's a really good player. I mean, he's up for a couple of the finalists or a couple of these final season awards for a reason. He's a really good player. Pop's strength is not playing in space, you know, against, against an athlete like Jane Daniels. So I think, like, honestly, Curtis, here's where not having Nolan Smith really hurts in a game yep. like this. Because Nolan Smith, the versatility he gives us and his ability to potentially play it, not even, even if he's not spying Jane Daniels, but his ability to use his athleticism, his speed to chase down a guy like Jane Daniels on the edge and keep him from, from hitting some of those explosive plays, that hurts us in this game. I'm not going to lie, man. I, I'm not going to butter this up. Like That hurts in this game. I, mean, I don't want to go too far into the outside linebacker talk because I know I do it every single week the past couple weeks since the Nolan injury. But I mean, guys, it's it's just not it's not where it needs to be right now. We don't have the athleticism there. We don't have the playmaking ability that we have with Nolan Smith, and we've gotten by fine with it because we haven't played teams that can really hurt us um, in those ways without him. But we're getting to the postseason, and that's about to change, and that is a major, major concern of mine. And it starts right now this week with Jaden Daniels because we need all the athletes on the field that we can get. And Chaz Chambliss, God bless his soul, guy plays his heart out, man, doing everything he can out there, but. He doesn't have that level of athleticism. Same thing for Robert Beal. Plays hard, man. Love Bobby Beal, but he doesn't have that athleticism. And that's certainly a concern of mine. And I don't I don't know what the answer is there. I, I don't know. We'll see what we have. Up in, I mean, at this point, Curtis, like, we just have who we have. And we just got to try to develop them and get them better. And I just, I don't know. It's a major concern of mine there. But I think Smile Monin is the answer. Um, and that, But that, you know, when you when you spy the quarterback that, like that, Curtis, that does take a defender out of pass coverage. Do you think LSU is proficient enough in the pass game to make us pay for that? Um, I think they are. I mean, they have some really good receivers. I don't know about the individual who left the game injured um, sad this past Saturday, but, I mean, Keyshawn Boutte, I mean, they have some – again, you talk about um, the tight end. Um, they have Mason some Taylor, players yeah. that they – Yeah, Very Mason Taylor. They have some players that can that, that can make you, you know – regret it um realistically they have, they have so yes talented skill talent out wide i mean malik neighbors yeah. you mentioned booty mason taylor the freshman tight end is going to be a big time player in the sec for a couple of years um Dre jenkins i mean they have some guys that can make plays out wide honestly jane daniels is not a super a super proficient passer uh, he's a he's a great he's got a really great deep ball they love the slot fade and he can hit that ball like even when he's back at arizona state that was the strength of his of his passing game that's still his strength 
intermediate short passing game. He doesn't always make good decisions. He's not always consistently accurate there. He, he throws a beautiful deep ball, man. Um, but uh, it, it, if we can take that away from them, then I like our chances there. It's just easier said than done. I just, you know, we're going to play a lot of man coverage is what we do. And if you take it, I mean, I think you have to spy Daniels. You have to, because you just can't let him dominate the game with his, with his legs. You can't let him do that, but it's going to be interesting to see what their answers are to that. And do they, do they have enough confidence in their passing game to be able to just drop back and make us pay for that? And we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I, he's not a super proficient passer. He's really not, except when he's throwing the ball downfield, which is kind of an oxymoron. It's, it's strange how that happens, but that's kind of how he is. Now, Curtis, the other big playmaker on the other side of the ball for LSU is Harold Perkins, the true freshman. Yeah, you and I are talking about Crazy him. pass rusher. What do you do with that guy? Um, I'm going to let you take it because you said it, I don't want to steal your thunder, but the fact is yeah. whatever Tyler says is right, because if you watch the A&M game, he was, you know, I, I was watching it with my dad, and at one point we turned and said, is Harold Perkins even playing? Yep. Yep. If you um, watch, so guys, Harold Perkins, we'll talk more about this as the week goes on, but Harold Perkins basically plays star for them. That's basically what he does. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we had, you know, Leonard Floyd back in the day. We did this a little bit with Lorenzo Carter. Um, we did it some with Adam Anderson too, where, Against, you know, you want to have a guy out there that's athletic enough to play in space. We can also defend against the run, insert against the run. And they do the exact same thing with Harold Perkins because he is that kind of athlete. I mean, honestly, guys, he's everything I wanted Adam Anderson to be his entire career. And he just never quite became that. He's already that as a true freshman. He's unbelievably talented. But the problem for him is that the dude cannot defend the run. What he excels at, he is a pass rusher and a chaser. That's what he does well. He rushes the pass. He like one on one. I don't know if we if we have a guy that can stop him. And we have some good offensive linemen. Like one on one, the way this guy can bend around the edges is unbelievable. And he chases plays extraordinarily well. Because what is his number one strength? He his athleticism, his speed, right? And so he can chase plays from the backside, and he can rush the passer. He can be a nightmare for you. But if you run the ball right at him, as you said, Curtis, it's like is Harold Perkins on the in the in the game? Is he on the field? He disappears because he cannot take on those blocks. He's small, or he's, he's tall and long, but he's slight. Like Adam Anderson, he's slight. That's why Adam Anderson couldn't get on the field early in his career consistently because he could not set the edge and hold up against the run. He couldn't do it. Harold Perkins, exact same thing. So what you have to do is you have to run the freaking football and run it at him. Don't run it away from him. If you run it away from him, you're playing into his game. He will chase down the backside because he has that kind of speed. You have to find where he is, identify it, and change the play, the direction of the play, to run the ball right at him. And then ran the ball for 275 yards and five and a half yards to carry, guys. That's how they won that football game. And if we're going to be LSU, that's exactly how we are going to win this football game. Because Harold Perkins is a game wrecker if you let him be. I thought about, you know, defensively, you have to make offenses play left-handed. The same thing for offenses. You have to make the defense play left-handed. You cannot let Harold Perkins play in his comfort zone because if we do, I mean, he could wreck the game and, and, and that we could actually absolutely lose this game if we allow him to take over the game. Absolutely. So we have to make him do what he is not comfortable with. And we'll talk a lot more about that as the week progresses. But just some early thoughts there, Curtis. I'm glad that you saw the same things that I saw there, man. Uh, but all right, anything else on the Tech game or the SEC championship? No, I think the more the week progresses, the more we'll see – um, how everything's going to play out. All right, one last thing here, a quick prediction from you. Does A.D. Mitchell play in the SEC title game? I'm going to predict he does. I think it's going to be more than what George Pickens did 
in the SEC championship game, I would I would say ten to fifteen snaps is where I would put him. It was encouraging that he at least dressed out for the first time since the Auburn game, if I remember correctly, right? It was the first time he and he they got him on the field. Yes, the play didn't happen, but they felt comfortable enough to at least get him out there. So clearly he's training in the right direction, which we've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's never really kind of worked out that way. But it seems like, hey, we're, we have tangible evidence now with him dressed out, actually stepping foot on the field that he is training in the right direction. I don't expect him to go out there and play, you know, 40, 50 snaps, but I do think that we'll see him. And, I, you know, why we got you, Curtis, one more thing. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Give me your SEC championship game prediction. I'm going to go uh, Georgia with a 38-17 uh, to 17 win. 38, so three touchdowns. All right. I mean, I think talent-wise and how we played all year I mean, long, A&M, A&M put a lot of points on them. <laughs> and as we've seen, their offense has been in that this year. And what have we been doing more of the past month and a half? Exactly what A&M did, running the football right at teams. Yeah. I, I think this is a matchup. Look, LSU's, like you said, they're very, they're very capable of beating us. But I do feel like this matchup is one that kind of favors us in a lot of ways as we'll kind of break down more as the week goes on. Um, all right, real quick, Curtis, do we get, if we win this game, do we get the number one seed or does Michigan jump past us after their blowout of Ohio state in the whole I think, I think it may depend on how we win. I mean, realistically, yes, Michigan has two, two wins that, you know, the great Ohio state win and then the Penn state win, but they're a conference championship opponent. I don't believe it's even going to be ranked. Yeah. We'll see what happens with Purdue there. Yeah. I don't I, I think it's recency bias. If the committee jumps Michigan from three to one over us. It's all about recency bias. Yes, great win against Ohio State. It's an awesome win. And that probably is better than any single win that we have. It's probably That is better than the Oregon win, who's now a three-loss team. It's better than Tennessee win, who got blown out on the road at South Carolina. But I think if you look at our resume in totality, I think our two best wins are better than Michigan's two best wins. Plus, we play a just overall a much more difficult schedule. We played two Power 5 non-conference opponents. They didn't play a single one. Now, I know they played nine conference games, but the Big Ten is top-heavy this year. It is garbage in the middle and the bottom of the Big Ten. I think our overall resume in totality for the entire season is stronger than Michigan's resume, but I also don't trust the committee, and I do think there's a chance that they will fall victim to recency bias and have Michigan jump us. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm not predicting it. I'm just sitting here saying... I wouldn't be shocked if it does happen. But we will let that play out. That'll be something for us to talk about another day if it does indeed playing out that way. But all right, guys, that's all we've got for you today here on the Glory UJ podcast. I really appreciate you guys. Number one, just for listening. We always appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And thank you today, especially for your patience and uh, getting Curtis on here. It's just one of those holiday things, kind of just threw a wrinkle in our plans. Uh, but we got him on here at least for about half the show. So I appreciate you guys waiting that out. Hope it wasn't too bad just listening to me talk about Georgia Tech. But uh, we have a lot more to talk about this week, guys. We, of course, have the big SEC championship game as we've just been talking about. And we'll have even more conversation on that for you guys the rest of the week. So make sure keep coming back, guys. We've got the goods for you. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.